0: the bear premiered on hulu and fx last year 2022 and has since then had two incredible seasons let's break down this excellent television show about a chef trying to bring life back into his family restaurant hello movie friends welcome back to raiders of the lost podcast the ultimate film and tv podcast and today we are finally doing the bear we have gotten so many requests from you to review this excellent tv series and as two people who used to work in the service industry in restaurants i can tell you it's accurate as fuck i remember i i put off watching the show because the trailer was so accurate it gave me ptsd of working in that world <laughs> And then I, just... I think you just like making excuses to not watch TV shows, <laughs> Anthony. Honestly, yeah, I can't watch it because it's a fictional show about the back of house. You were front of house. Yeah, I was front of house, but I mean, you still interact with the back of house a lot. And no matter where you work in a restaurant, it's always stressful. Unless like you're the host, it's not too stressful. It's still like stressful. It can be when it's busy, but it's not as bad as front of house and back of house, like servers and then cooks in line. Hostess and, and... is right now listening to you, Anthony. It's complicated. Unsubscribe. Anthony is just wow. You're you're terrible today, man. Already. <laughs> <laughs> hey, facts, man. Singling people out. I'm just saying, hosts spend a lot of time on their phones. That's all I'm <laughs> saying. And Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> and not busy restaurants, sure. Not busy restaurants. But we Cheesecake Cheese- Factory. They're working their butts off. They're working their tails off. They are. <laughs> but the restaurant industry is a very unique kind of industry where, you know, when you're there as a guest, you expect things to be really smooth, uh, and you hope that things are kind of in a way perfect. The food's done well. The service is great. And all around, you want your experience to be good. And restaurants, what's fascinating about them is on the surface, they can present that. But in the background, it is quite the opposite. It's a war zone. It's chaos. It's madness. (laughs) And it's really fucking stressful. And the bear did a really excellent job of portraying that behind-the-scenes look behind a restaurant. A lot of people's lives are like that, too. There's a facade, but there's (laughs) madness behind the eyes and what really goes on. Now, The Bear, again, like Anthony said, so many of you have been trying to get us to watch this show for, like, two years. Finally got around to it. I got a Hulu subscription for a month. Free trial. (laughs) It was so good. I really enjoyed this show, and second season was excellent. They really got into a groove with the characters and story arcs, and on IMDb, The Bear is an 86 it is number one hundred and eighty nine on IMDB's top rated TV shows of all time, which is pretty excellent I think for a new show. I think that's about standard. Yeah, That's I mean, how I would that's, I mean there's a lot of TV yeah, shows to be on the top two hundred all yeah. time. That's that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, it's a ninety nine percent. The first season was a hundred, the second season was a ninety nine percent critic score, ninety two percent audience score. It has 18 episodes over two seasons. The first season is eight episodes, which is pretty standard for TV series. And then the second season was 10 episodes. They even had an hour-long one in there. That Christmas episode was excellent. And then 13 Emmy nominations. It hasn't gotten a win yet, but tons of... Recognition for nominations as well, some critics' awards for some of the actors. IO Debris won one, I think, this year, and then uh Jeremy Allen White won that last year. Yeah, she won Rising Star. Yeah. It was created by Christopher Storer, who directs a lot of the episodes and writes them as well. And the showrunner is Joanna Kahlo The Bear is an American comedy drama created by Christopher Storer, premiered on Hulu, which is owns FX now, because Disney owns everything. So Disney owns the bear. <laughs> <laughs> premiered on June 23rd, 2022, starring Jeremy Allen White as a young award winning chef who returns to his hometown of Chicago <laughs> to manage the chaotic kitchen at his deceased brother's sandwich shop, The Beef. The supporting cast includes Evan Moss Backrack, Io Debris, Lionel Boyce, Liza Colon Abby Elliott, and Maddie Matheson. Backrack sounds funny. Is it Bacharach, maybe? Probably Bachrock. <laughs> He's awesome. <laughs> He's awesome, by the way. He's from Amherst, Massachusetts. No way! Yeah, he- his family's from Springfield and Amherst. Holy He went crap. to college in Springfield. He's, I think he's the best actor in the show. He's terrific. The represent. sandwich shop interior is actually copied from the real-life Chicago shop, Mr. Beef on Orleans in River North. I'm assuming that's a street in Chicago. <laughs> the creator, Christopher Storer, was a frequent patron and a friend of the owner's son. The series has received widespread critical acclaim, particularly for its writing, directing, acting, and production values, as well as its examination of its subject matter. And basically, again, a quick synopsis, a little more detailed. Young chef Carmen Carmi Berzato inherits his family's Italian beef sandwich shop after the suicide of his older brother, Michael. He comes home to Chicago to run it, leaving behind his world of working in a Michelin-starred restaurant in New York he is left to deal with his brother's unresolved debts, a rundown kitchen, and an unruly staff while dealing with his own pain and family trauma. Now, I see why it's 186 ranked all time, because I will say say the first season took a little time to get going, and it took until, I would say, episode six and seven where I think the show finally found its footing and understood what it was. Sometimes shows... They need a little time to really figure out what exactly it is. You know, they'll have a pilot and then they'll work out the rest of the scripts and then they'll shoot the rest of the, this whole season. But it really, I think with something like that, with new people who haven't done TV before, you're trying to figure out what is our what is our tone? what How are we filming? What exactly is this? And I think it took them a few episodes to figure that out because I will say I wasn't completely sold on the show in the first few episodes. I was like, oh, it's good, but it's not living up to the hype that everybody was has been saying online. But, you know, you got to trust people's opinions. And so I gave it—I I stuck it out, and by the end of the first season, I was completely sold, and I thought it was fantastic. And then season two, I think, was an absolutely huge improvement on the first season in every possible way. And I think it really um, elevated it to a really fantastic, excellent TV show. I'm looking forward to season three. I can't wait to watch it. I can now see why— FX greenlit the second season in like a half a day. They're like, oh, get another one going. Before we get back into the episode, we are doing a movie poster giveaway thanks to our friends at movieposters.com. So be sure to enter this contest by making a comment on the YouTube episode of The Bear. So go to our YouTube channel and make a comment in the Bear episode that enters you into the contest to win a free movie poster from movieposters.com. I agree. It's not that I didn't like the first season. I loved every yeah. episode. I like every episode of the show. They're really great, but the great ones, most of the great episodes are in season two. Season one has an episode. I'll go over some of the ranking ratings of over a nine on IMDb, but there's four in season two that are over a nine on IMDb. And you're right. It takes a little while to get used to the characters to, for them to figure out what's going on with the story, where the story arc is going to be. What are the character interactions and relationships going to be like? But they really figured out by the end of season two, it was really cooking. Pun intended. It was working so well, and I think the cast is excellent. It's the best part of the show. So Jeremy Allen White, basically, whenever a studio says we need someone who can play a character who's always stressed out with a messed up family, Jeremy Allen White is your guy. You watched his um shameless, the shameless right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, that's the joke. Was he was he a kid when he started Shameless? Not or, a kid. He was probably he's was... he like a late, early adult, like uh-huh. late teenager. He was supposed to be in high school when that show started, so, but he was like twenty. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, he's he, like our age. He's probably. our age right now. Yeah. So like 32, 33. But he was great in that show. He's excellent. Uh-huh. He plays Lip. And so Lip is like the precocious, like super smart, but like troubled and stressed out. Well, the whole family. He's a hustler, right? kind yeah. I mean, that's a way to put it. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say he's, li- he's, li- he's like, he's like, oh, he got something going on. Okay, but he's yeah, gotcha. really smart. But also the family dynamic is similar because they're always fighting. They're loyal, but they all hate each other. So it's kind of like, that's the joke a studio need. You need someone who <laughs> lives to a stressed out family. Jeremy Allen White's your guy with some messy hair. He plays Carmi. Carmen Berzado, the award-winning chef. From New York City de cuisine, who returned to his hometown obviously to run the beef. I got my Carmy outfit on today. It looks like you <laughs> got the navy pants. You should and have the, got the some the stains tea. on your on your shirt. You <laughs> yeah, I still an apron. I didn't have the slip ons, but I put on loafers just to try and get close to the slip ons. I did uh, the messy Carmy hair. Yeah, you got my the hair. Hair's getting long again, and I just like did the best I could to make. it. Uh-huh. Does it look silly? It doesn't look silly. You, look- you're looking more like Bernthal with the the. Uh, Oh, the thanks. Hair. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I like that. You got Burnthal's hair more than Alan White's. That's a that's a good compliment. <laughs> <laughs> and then didn't we didn't have... say you look like him. <laughs> <laughs> you said hair. I mean I No just... actually no, I'm feeling like a little Burnthal vibe with you. The... I... It's because of the tan. Yeah, you are tan. tan You're way more tan. The tan and I'm pretty lean right now, so I got the Barenthal thing going on. But I'm not as cool as though He's a pretty cool guy. Now Evan Moss Backrock plays Richard Richie Jeromovich. He is so good in the show and All these rumors about him being cast in the Fantastic Four make total sense to me now because he's sensational. Oh, as the Thing. That's who it is. I I heard it could be that or maybe not Mr. Fantastic for him. I I read that he was going to be the Thing. I I mean, I could see that. So he plays the de facto manager of the beef. It really should be Jeremy Allen White, though. (laughs) (laughs) And Michael's best friend. And obviously, he's basically a brazzado, not by blood, but by friendship. And Richie's a mess. And I love his—he has the best character arc, I think, because of how low he is when we meet him, how much of an asshole he is, how stubborn he is, how hard he is to communicate and get along with. By the end of season two, he is a completely changed person, and his perspective on life has changed. He's really the only character that transforms. Everyone else, they they change, but he he, did, he does a nosedive 180 because of that episode where Carmi sends him to the fine dining um three-star restaurant that karma used to run forks that's the name of the episode um excellent episode because he's never understood the fine dining lifestyle and what it is he's always looked at as pretentious and fancy but that episode did a great job of translating it's not just about being fancy and expensive it the fine dining that we see in that restaurant especially is taking hospitality and customer service to the fucking maximum of them like getting uno's of get them getting deep dish pizza for a guest because they overheard it and like showcasing that yes that it's expensive but like it's more it's just as much about the service and the hospitality as it is about the food and that's what he really he he saw that he comes back he goes cuz I get it I get it cuz and it's not just about fine dining but it's also about for him a new perspective on life purpose. And he changes in terms of like he cleans up his health. Oh, I wear suits now. Yeah. So it's like, it, it was like a personality shift for him yeah. to kind of, it was a wake up call in Bro a lot up. of ways for, yeah. for Richie. Cause he's 45. 40, yeah. yeah, 44, yeah. 45. No purpose. Yeah. Yo, bruh. Yo, cuz. I got no purpose. What's my purpose? <laughs> we have Ayo Adebri as Sydney Adamu, a talented but inexperienced chef who joins the beef as its new sous chef under Carmi. Ayo was excellent. We got to interview her. Um, a few like a month ago for TMNT. TMNT, which was awesome. And she's terrific in this show. She's a highlight of the show. And I think when her and Jeremy Allen White are going at it, it's some of my favorite scenes of they're just extremely talented actors. And they both have a great nuance and authenticity and realism and honesty to their acting. They feel like real people. When they're sharing scenes, it, it, I think the show is on fire. Absolutely. Then Lionel Boyce as Marcus Brooks, who is the bread baker turned pastry chef, Spurred on by his Carmi's and Sydney's mentoring and inspiration. We have Liza colon as Tina Marrero, who's one of my favorite characters. Whenever Tina's on screen, especially season two, she's so sweet and cute. And I'm always smiling whenever she, cause she's got a great smile. She's so sweet. She's the mom. Terrific actress, yeah. and I love Tina so, so much. She's uh, a sharp but stubborn veteran line cook. We have Abby Elliott as Natalie Sugar Rose Berzado, Carmen and Michael's sister, and reluctant owner, co-owner of The Beef and eventually of The Bear. And Maddie Matheson as Neil Fack, Fack, a <laughs> childhood friend of The Berzados, and sometimes handyman for a restaurant. Tons of recurring characters. I mean, John Barenthal is one of the great guest stars of this show. And when it comes to great guest stars, I think it's one of the great strengths of The Bear, especially season two. We have Molly Ringwald, as the meeting met moderator of the Al-Anon meetings... Oh, my God! ...that Carmine intends. And now the Al-Anon, I those thought she are... she familiar. Yeah, so Al-Anon, they're basically Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, or, or NA meetings for the people that addicts affect. The family members, the friends of addicts and alcoholics, it's for them to be able to go and communicate and try to... Okay. It's I, basically a form of therapy. For some reason, I thought it was... Na meetings, no. But he was just going as to understanding it's, it's the when world with your like. If you have a friend or a uh-huh. loved one who's an who's an addict, got and an alcoholic. So yeah. obviously people have experience with Al. That's the difference between Al and non versus AA. Oh, because non, you're non, you're a non addict, but you're still well, it's still anonymous. It's yeah. just that they word it differently. Gotcha, gotcha. Now Will Poulter as Luca. In season two, he plays that Copenhagen-based dessert chef who trains Marcus, which is excellent in episode two. He's such a good actor. You, he's fucking, great. He's great. And then Bob Odenkirk as Uncle Lee Lane. Don is scheming on-and-off boyfriend and business partner of Cicero Berzatto's late father. Season two, we have that fishes episode, the Christmas episode. He's awesome. When I saw Bob Odenkirk on screen, I'm like, Bob Odenkirk? <laughs> Holy shit. We also have Jamie Lee Curtis, Plays Carmi, Michael, and Natalie's mom in this show. Donna. Terrific yeah. in the Fishes episode. Then we get her in the finale briefly. John Mulaney comes in hot as Michelle's boyfriend. Michelle, played by Sarah Paulson. She's Michelle Berzotto, cousin of Michael, Carmi, and Natalie. She lives in New York. She tries to get Carmi away from Chicago. And then Olivia Coleman as Chef Terry, the executive chef at Ever, that fine dining restaurant where Richie stages in season two episode Forks. And also Jillian Jacobs yes. as Richie's um, baby mama, and then uh, Oliver Platt. Did you mention Oliver Platt? Huh? He's fantastic, Uncle Jimmy. Uh, he's, oh, you got a you got a nomination for? A, I think he might have won. I think he's excellent in the show. It's one of my favorite Oliver Platt performances, and it's funny because we just watched Chef, and he plays the food critic in chef. Yeah, it's, it's kind of. So th- it was just so funny. He seems to fit in the in the cooking world, and because of that movie. I I I make it's, food is synonymous with Oliver Platt now for some reason in my mind, but he's I think he's excellent as Uncle Jimmy as this the money man, as this guy who has ties to you know shady dealings. Uh, he, I wouldn't uh, say shady. He's got connections. Richie calls him a blue collar criminal. He's got connections. He's a blue collar criminal. <laughs> he is. He's. He, and then um, Carmy says what he doesn't want to get his legs cut up broken. Yeah, because of <laughs> Uncle Jimmy. But it it's great because it's an italian-american family we we come from a uh, mostly italian-american family it can be pretty crazy it's pretty nuts but also the irish side is pretty wild too it's well it's funny because we grew up in such a hectic life yeah. our house and family parties so like as soon as i started watching the show i'm like i'm getting ptsd from yeah. from the hectic life we grew up in in the house of. our just... mom's not donna but the the house was still crazy it was in, there yeah. was a lot of people and yeah. not a lot of space and yeah. it was loud fight angry and yeah. everyone was irritable so like it's Literally, I felt like I was in my childhood watching this show every episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this looks really familiar. But it did a the show does a really, really fantastic job of portraying the food industry, the food service industry, uh, really accurately. And there are a lot of things that I took away from the film that maybe if you've never worked, it's in... a show, Anthony. No, sorry, from thing. the show. Sorry, have it. This is like only the eighth show we've talked about. <laughs> <laughs> from the show that. If you haven't worked behind the scenes of the service industry, you might not be aware of. And things like getting in the weeds. Getting in the weeds is when you're so busy you can't even fucking think. And you see it a lot in this show because it's such a constant presence where uh, in working in a restaurant, when you see it so many times, there's it's slow. But then when it's busy, when it's full, you are full throttle. You can't even think about what you're doing. You just have to move on to the next tax. Ask whether you're expoing. So something that Sydney does often in the in the in the restaurant is expoing. She's the one, you know, telling people what to make, saying "Um, six chickens all day. That means that six chickens need to be cooking right now. They didn't just get ordered, but maybe we she ordered four chickens. Uh, two minutes ago and then two more chickens got ordered. So now the expo is telling the cook six chickens all day So we need six chickens cooking at the moment. That's what that all day phrase means, but she's the she's working the expo line She's calling out dishes. She's getting food runners to run food And that's a very stressful job and it, and it even gets even more complex It gets even more complex in the fine dining setting which Richie sees and then obviously Sydney has experience with which is why she at first handles it when they open the bear on its opening night for friends and family. But the expo line is really crazy. But even more so, the, the food cooks line is just madness. It's, it's so hot. There's so many dishes on the line. There's so many things that they have to do. And then not only cooking dishes, but modifications to dishes, allergies. There's so many things happening. And in a way, when you're, the restaurant's busy, the employees, they can't even think they just have to focus on the next objective. And that's why we see multiple times there's a there's a sign that says every second counts. You can't waste a second in a restaurant, especially a, a, a three-star or one-star or fine-dining restaurant where people expect the best. Not a second can be wasted because even five seconds ruins the dish. We see in the meeting how they said that there was an issue that cost them 47 seconds, and the cook's like, don't you dare fucking make us cost... You know how how bad that is? Like, 47 (laughs) seconds? It sounds ridiculous from the outside perspective, but 47 seconds is life or death in the busy restaurant. And on top of that, there are a lot of bad days in restaurants behind the scenes. They're almost always bad Yeah, they're almost always bad. (laughs) And In a way, if if your restaurant's busy, it's going to be bad. There's no way around that, but what you see in the film in the show <laughs> is so many of the characters no matter how stressed they get no matter, no matter how chaotic it is at the end of the day they love what they do they love serving and then little things like when people cook when some of the chefs cook things and they watch someone eat their food like when Sydney cooks for sugar that omelet oh my god it looks so good and sydney's in it's, it's a stressful day for her it's opening um, night and she cooks the omelet for sugar, and she watches her cook the. She watches Sid, uh, sugar eat it, and like that's what it's all about. And then when Richie sees how the extremely high service level of the fancy three-star restaurant changes, it just makes people feel so happy. Like first of all, when they say, uh, "Oh, this couple, they've been dying to come here." We're not. They're not paying. It's free. And when when we see the guy training Richie tells the couple at the table they're like crying. They're so happy. And then he sees. How happy the other table is for getting the, the deep dish pizza. He understands that as crazy as the world is, when they the whole the whole point behind it, and even seeing that crazy chef for that restaurant, he's a psycho. But then he puts so much care into transforming that deep dish into a beautiful dish for the guests. He sees that at the end of the day, it's all about making people have a wonderful experience and remember that night. And at the end, then that's what it's all about. The show has terrific production elements too. I want to talk about the music. So, it has a great soundtrack of songs from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, alternative mainstream rock classics, as well as some bangers. We have Radiohead's Let Down in there, Van Morrison's St. Dominic's Preview. We have that great song that, like, yeah, it's like a theme. Yeah, it's kind of like the theme. Whenever shit's hitting the fan, you hear that guitar riff, and then the ba 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 ba. That's. New Noise by Refused and the soundtrack slaps, so I recommend checking it out on Spotify or wherever you listen to music and shit. They got a better budget second season because yeah. they had some high tr- the high level tracks. REM's Oh My Heart is on here as well. The replacements, Bastards of Young, Counting Crows, have you seen me lately? So the soundtrack for this series is terrific. There's a bunch of great songs, but I think that great chaotic song by the Refused by Refuse is like a great kind of theme, like you said, for the show. As well as when it comes to production, I really like how they approach this show it's not perfect but it works in a great way to its benefit so i like the approach to cinematography lots of imperfect zooms as well as push-ins that are kind of choppy but it works for the chaos of the show it works for the grittiness of the show as well as yeah mostly long lenses yeah Yeah. we're in these tight compact spaces you get the sense of claustrophobia i love the intimacy of the show because when you're back house of a kitchen it is tight back there and you can't really walk you got to <laughs> you got to yell corner you got to stay behind and they get all those elements in there but it's it's really great to make it fe- they make it feel a lot bigger than it really is back there that's because it's just great production and great intimacy with the characters they do a great job of when people are moving through the spaces constantly yelling corner and behind and showing how you- there are turns and you got a bob and weave and there's always someone doing something right next to you that you're trying to get past and how easy it is to drop something or spill something and how the close quarters nature of it is kind of like a battlefield it's kind of like uh, it's just a, a mad conglomeration of like all sorts of like cookware furniture shelving ovens and then people and there's no space and it's just like you got to f- find your way through it. And even if it's not working hours, even if the restaurants are not running, you still, if you're walking past someone, yell behind. That's just like, it becomes part of your DNA where you just, whenever you pass somebody, you say something and it, it, it seeps into your real life too, where you start saying it sometimes. <laughs> Great uh, photography of the city of Chicago. Every time I see this Chicago in, in a movie or TV show, I think of The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight <laughs> but yep, they did same. get a lot of great parts of Chicago that I'd never seen before on screen, so I think they do a great, inti- g- interesting job of capturing moments the in train, Chicago. The high-rise, what's it called? The, um, so, the, it's, um, it's the, the train line that's up, uh, up a high, it's high, what's it called? You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Something line. It's got a special name, but, like, they're fam- it's famous for being in Chicago. Also, the food. It always looks terrific, and I think my favorite part about how they shoot the food is they're not afraid to not focus on the food and rather focus on the chefs. Of course, you get some great shots of cooking and food, but rather than just constantly getting shots of the food being prepared, they're focusing on the chefs usually, which I think is the right decision to get when you're capturing these moments in these scenes. They also do cool things with the editing in terms of trying to illustrate what people are thinking and what's in their minds, whether it be memories or ideas. So you see Sydney, she's trying to come up with menu ideas and she's picturing styles of cooking, foods to cook in her mind. And she figured out figures out the cold brace, and we get to see a couple insert shots of close ups of a slow brace and things like that. And then for Carmi, his past, when he's thinking about something, we're seeing the visuals of what he's thinking. We're also hearing the voices. Because I think what they do a good job is is when you interact with people, sometimes you can Or if when you're thinking about someone you're thinking about the past memories and past interactions and things they said that really stuck stuck out with you in whatever context it is those those phrases will will linger with you and if they can be negative memories those will really just like haunt you in a way and so we see that in a great way with with carmy in his mind i love being able to see what's going on in that head of his that's Causing all the stress and anxiety. Same with Sydney. We get some moments of what she's thinking about, like you said, but and also the moments of like thinking about Claire or thinking about Sydney, and there's that montage where he thinks about both of them, and he's trying to calm himself. He's thinking about Claire, and he's kind of just like memory, dream-like sequences, and then thinking about the moments he has had with Sydney. It's it's really great editing, as well as kind of just when they're walking around town. Cool editing to the music and just fast montages. By the way, speaking of Claire, uh, the guys call her Claire Bear. Yeah, I just watched Wedding Crashers, and Um it's uh Rachel McAdams' character is named Claire and everyone calls her Claire Bear. That's right. (laughs) I was like, wait, they just they say that in the bear. I just watched it. Like the odds of me watching that after the bear with the same character being called same person being called Claire Bear, I thought it was pretty funny. I think my favorite little detail about this show, which is everywhere, but maybe not everyone notices it right away, but obviously by season two you really start to notice it, especially opening night. In the episode of the bear the last last episode last two episodes the Pepto Bismol and Tums everywhere whenever you're stressed and, and your brain and stomach are connected and my goodness the first episode has shots Carmi's kitchen has Pepto and Tums his bathroom has Tums he's chewing Tums drinking Pepto I think it's such a great and smart detail to have because it's so accurate I mean a lot of times, people, they're, they're, they have these stomach aches, and they may not know it's related to their stress. Anxiety causes yeah. stomach problems. That's absolutely a fact. There's another thing that is a result of anxiety and stress of working in a kitchen or a restaurant that everybody suffers from, and it's serving nightmares. <laughs> We see a bunch of serving nightmares in this film. And cooking nightmares. Yeah, cooking yeah. nightmares. Uh there's a couple of them. One of them, Carmi, is it's like a waking nightmare where he ac- where he accidentally sets a fire in his own kitchen. But then we see other nightmares with w- Sydney has one, Carmi has a couple. But serving nightmares, everybody gets them. And it's you're dreaming you're at work and the most insane thing is happening. It's everything's dialed to eleven and there's nothing you can do about it. And because it's the stress s- feeds into you and the anxiety feeds into you because working in a restaurant when it's busy is just extreme stress. You take that with you, especially when you go home. My, my, I had a recurring serving nightmare where I would be working in the restaurant and I would get sat like 20 tables in a row, like table after table after table after table, and everybody would be mad at me for not being able to serve them and nobody would help, and then I couldn't... Even figure I couldn't remember how to sign into the computer to, to put the orders in, and it's just like everything that can go wrong does go wrong, and that's something that I I had a recurring that recurring dream over and over again while working in restaurants. So that's another part of of serving life that the show translates into screen that you might not be aware of. And mental health, the show yeah. does a great job approaching mental health. And Carmi's you know waking nightmares of the fire. It's all related to. His source of stress and anxiety in his life is this restaurant. And if he just let this fire go and this place burned down, the source of all his stress and anxiety would disappear. And he's enticed by the idea of letting it happen. Just like Michael was planning to burn down the beef, he fucked up the gas line so that he could <laughs> burn down the beef eventually. Like that was his plan. That's why they had that issue with the gas lines when they're trying to open up the bear in season two. And so it's interesting that, you know, Carmi. He he loves chaos but he hates it. He obviously hates what it does to him but he's addicted to chaos because it's all he's ever known. His whole entire life has been chaos, has been anxiety, has been stress, has been stress. <laughs> And that's why he's so addicted to chaotic work environments. That's why even though he hates it, he loves it. He can't walk away from it. He can't give up cooking in a kitchen where he's being berated and being attacked. Yeah, Uncle Jimmy has that great line where you're going to like work, you're going to be here every day, spend all your time here, get kicked in the nuts night after night. Does that, you're sound, gonna... that sound good to you? <laughs> yeah. And Carmi's like, yeah. I guess so. So speaking of chaos, I think that's what the bear represents. So we get the bear being let out of the cage on the bridge in Chicago by Carmi. In the opening, I think that represents him letting the chaos out, letting the monster out. and the bear is it can't be tamed. It, and maybe he will be able to tame it one day. And that's why the nickname for everybody in the family—they call each other "bear" because that's inside of their blood. It's in their—it's in their history. It's in their genes that that madness, that 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 anger, that that ferocity. The power, the speed, <laughs> the dark knight <laughs> rises. <laughs> I see, but the League of, League of Shadows and <laughs> But that's, I think, what the bear represents, that innate chaos that they can't help but uh, contr- they can't control. Maybe they will one day. Maybe Carmi will be able to control himself one day, but as long as that bear is outside the cage, he's never going to be able to c- have a a tamed life in a way. Not completely just chaos. I mean, obviously, bear res- relates to their last name, Bearzado. So that's a nickname and play on the word. Show opens with Carmi and that bear on the bridge. That's the first shot of the scene of the, of the show in season one. But also in Fish's episode, they're talking about bears. And we learn that bears are empathetic. They're altruistic. They're sensitive. They're devoted, but also aggressive, which obviously these words... They relate to the Bearzados, the family dynamic, how chaotic and aggressive they are, but also how loyal and devoted they are to each other. They all love each other very much, even though they scream at each other every single day. (laughs) Just like bears are aggressive, but also very sweet and devoted. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I was waiting for... I was like, oh, when's the restaurant going to be called The Bear? I felt like that's good. I was like in season one, I was like, they got to call this thing the bear one day. I liked it. I think it was the waiting for the yeah. end of season two was perfect. I thought it was But excellent. like we knew it was going to happen halfway through yeah. season two. And then the Fish's episode when he shows Michael the, 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 ma- the drawing he had yeah. made and framed from of the bear, the restaurant that they always talked about opening up. And, you know, Michael and Carmi, they have this beautiful and, and chaotic relationship as well. And... Michael's death and suicide is a huge part of Carmen's issues and his trauma, not to mention the way that he feels Michael is treating him. You know, tr- Michael's his hero. You can tell. I mean, your older brothers are your heroes for a long time. And he looked up to Michael, and all he wanted to do was work at the restaurant, work at the beef with Michael that Michael took over for the family. And then he thought that Michael was rejecting him because he didn't want him. And he doesn't. we don't find out until Fish's episode, really, that Michael didn't want him to work there basically because he... He was protecting him he knew carmen was too good for it he didn't want carmen to live this goddamn life of working in this italian beef shop not that there's anything wrong with it he called it a nightmare he called yeah. it a nightmare exactly but carmen took it as a rejection he took it as all right motivation fuck you watch what i can do becomes one of the best chefs in the world working in the best restaurant on the planet and then again he doesn't realize that michael was protecting him and basically set him up to do whatever he wanted I don't know if Michael's grand plan was eventually to take his life. If he had that planned out f- that far in advance, hiding this money in all those cans of sauce and waiting for Carmi to take over eventually—who knows? But he, obviously, he left that money there for Mike for Carmen to find, and that was basically his plan. And keeping in the small cans of tomato sauce was really funny because yeah. Carmen's like, "Why are we using the small cans? You get more with the 110 ounces. Why does he get these 28-ounce cans?" And then he leaves the, when he finds the suicide note. Yeah, yeah. Let it rip. He gives him the recipe for the spaghetti use the small cans they taste better, finds the money. I think Michael's original plan was to take the money from Jimmy and keep it hidden for a while. So he hid it in the, in the tomato cans. Tomato. Tomato cans. And I think his plan was to burn the restaurant down and then take insurance money plus Jimmy's money to build something new. Or to just get out, just move with the money. Just take all that money and run. So I think that was his original plan. But then life got so hard for him he became such a bad addict and he couldn't deal with life anymore he decided he was going to kill himself and he's like you know what what can i do for Carmen? i can leave i can tell him about the money i can hint at the money being there i don't think i don't think he planned for that long to kill himself but i think that he planned to maybe run away with a ton of money possibly i think i think i like your idea of burning it down and starting something fresh probably for carmen and with carmen but I think you're right. Where eventually life wore, down, wore him down so much that he decided to commit suicide, and left the restaurant to Carmen, which everyone was confused about, especially Carmen, not understanding why he left him the beef if he never wanted him to work at the beef. Yeah, and in Mikey's a great example of sometimes like you hear so many stories of like someone who um, commits suicide of being like such a, a a great presence, and they would light up a room, and they were so full of energy and Robin seemed, Williams, yeah, man. Robin Williams and you hear that about the um, the actor from Euphoria? I read stories and like the, his friends and castmates said that he was like like a a, a son of energy and, and positivity. And you hear that a lot. And I think Mikey, especially with the performance by Jon Bernthal, is a great depiction of that of someone who, because they have so much darkness within inside of them, when they project the opposite to other people. And Mikey's, I think, is a great example of that because everybody says he's so much fun. He 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 makes he can read a room. He's everybody people keep saying he's hilarious and and he is like he if if there's a party he's the life of the party, and he's like the ringleader and he's always this kind of like the center of attention because he's just so good with people, but in a way he's projecting. All of that because of how bad he feels inside. The final shot of season one kills me. It's so tragic and beautiful because Richie finally gives Carmi that note that he found behind the locker. It was basically a suicide note in a way for Carmen to find. Let it rip, dude. Gives him the recipe. And then Carmen finds the money and... And then the episode ends where he's thinking about Mikey, and it cuts to a flashback of Mikey John Bernthal smiling and laughing. And then the show ends, and I got, like, goosebumps. I got really emotional. It was a really beautiful way to end season one. Let it rip. Let it rip, dude. Yeah. I thought that was really fantastic. Also, Mikey is a Red Sox fan. Oh, yeah, I love it. So there are Fenway Park signs all over the place. It's Mikey's team. Show some respect. (laughs) Also... I'm not sure if you noticed there are a couple of movie posters. Yeah, there's so many. Everyone's got great taste. I love the one in Sydney's house. Which one is that? Sydney in her apartment, she has... Oh, oh, it was uh, Speed. Speed, yes. She has Speed Speed, in her bedroom. Yeah, Speed. Uh, Richie has an alien poster in his bedroom. But my favorite one was there's a Rounders poster. In the basement of the bear was Mikey's poster. But Rounders actually has a lot of similarities to this show. You know, uh, Carmi's taking on the debt of someone from his past. That He loves Uh, he's taking on Mikey's debt and he's trying to figure out how to pay it back and then you can look at Richie as Edward Norton's character Kind of just being this troublemaker gets arrested. He's unreliable. He's uh, uh, uncontrollable and so the rounders has a lot of similarities to The Bear, so I think that's why they put that poster, plus because Rounders is a fucking awesome movie. We should do it sometime We're gonna do a poker, poker episode. Poker episode would be fun. Poker episode, but I see a lot of similarities between The Bear's storyline and characters and Rounder's storyline and characters. And how about we run to our intermission, and then we'll get back to The Bear. There's still so much to talk about, and before we it. continue, the very best way you can support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your family and friends who love movies, who love TV. If anyone, anyone you know loves The Bear, send them this episode they can check it out and it'll probably make them want to watch it again because it's that good. <laughs> you can also leave five-star reviews and ratings on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. They help us get seen by new listeners on those apps. They push us and get us good rankings. So thank you for those reviews. I'll read out a five-star written review in just a minute from Apple Podcasts and becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a subscription-based form of support for the show. We have five different tiers of membership. $2, $5, $10, $25, and dollars and $100 Every single tier has access to two bonus episodes of the show every week. Not to mention, we now have our own Spotify Patreon playlist. Finally, we integrated Patreon and Spotify. It's something we've been dying to do, so it's called Raiders of the Lost Patreon. If you have a Patreon account with us, you can link your Spotify and listen on the Spotify app to over 200 bonus episodes of the show. And every tier has awesome perks. That $10 gets you access to our Discord and going up the ranks even better things. So thank you so much to everyone who supports our show through Patreon. It's The only reason we can do it full time. And this episode is sponsored by our friends at movieposters.com. Be sure to use our promo code Raiders10 at movieposters.com to get 10% off your order today. They have a giant selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster library, as well as all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting for your poster needs. In this episode, we're going to be doing a movie poster giveaway. To enter this giveaway... All you have to do is make a comment on our Bear episode on YouTube that enters you into the contest to win a free poster. Again, make a comment on our YouTube channel on the Bear episode that enters you into the contest. We'll pick a winner in two weeks. And in the meantime, be sure to use MoviePosters.com for all of your poster needs. And use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. All right, Anthony, let's get into our intermission and begin with the movie quote competition. You ready? Ready. This one's kind of easy, but it's just a great line. And uh, I did all TV shows for this. I'm Federal Agent Jack Bauer, and today is the longest day of my life. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that show was so sick. They had some good seasons. First, like three seasons of that show Lant, were man. some of the best TV ever, man. It was a wild show, man. Everybody was watching it. We used to watch it like with most of our most of our family. Yeah, We'd it was like it's 24 night. That's it's how Wednesday good TV night. shows used to be. Not that there still aren't good ones, but they were so good that like that's how good network TV used to be. The whole family's watching. That that show had some excellent seasons, and it I mean, without the streaming, there it had the event quality to it, like going to a movie. Like, oh, it's, it's Monday Survivor's night. Survivor's on at 9. You watching? We, We're going to get in the living room. We're all watching it. <laughs> Making <laughs> treats and stuff. And Like, it's the only time you can watch it. It's the only time you can watch it. That's it. Or you can buy it on DVD like a year later. All right, here's my quote. I check my messages every day when I come home from work. My answering machine, zero. I got a blinking light because I don't have to sh- I don't have shit from you. I got my wife, I got my wife checking the messages every 45 minutes, <laughs> calling the office saying, has Brad apologized yet? Is there an apology message on the machine? I don't have jack shit. You know what? That's not how you treat people. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> this is Jonah Hill and the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Talking about John Barenthal. Has Brad apologized yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so fucked up. <laughs> Alright, guess this movie release here. Actually, what year did Lost premiere on TV? 2004. Yeah! You please, I'm a Lost guy, man. I'm a, <laughs> You are a Lost. I'm a Lost boy. I love Lost. You wish you were a Lost boy. You'd be a vampire. It's pretty dope, though. And they all died. Well, I wouldn't be like... That crew was irresponsible. You'd okay? be like a good vampire? <laughs> yeah. You'd be like a nice guy. No, I'd be, I'd be a smart vampire. <laughs> I'd move from place to place. I mean, they stay in that same place. They, I mean, they attract a lot of attention. It's a matter of time. They're partying. The they're causing trouble. They have interesting looks. Yeah, I mean, they they do nothing but draw attention they're to themselves. They're very vain. Yeah. They're not incognito at they're all. They're ostentatious. Yeah. <laughs> they're inconspicuous. No, they're conspicuous. Oh, they're conspicuous. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's the uh, movie release year is the movie Date Night. I want to challenge you with the movie that you love. <laughs> <laughs> See how much you love it. Date Night. When did it come out? 2018. 2010? 2010? Oh, my God. Oh, you were thinking... Oh, I was thinking... Yeah, oh, I was thinking Game, game Night. night. <laughs> I also was thinking Game Night when I did it. Uh, Date I don't... Night's the Corel. Gotcha. gotcha yeah that's two thousand i've never even seen that game night is 2018 yeah You're right yeah. I, I looked i remember seeing so that. You, we both knew that you meant game night yeah <laughs> that's pretty but funny. you still got date night wrong <laughs> but i got game night wrong right because i thought i was thinking game night you might have gotten it right let's, i did get it right let's double check let's double check you know it doesn't hurt to be completely fact-checked date and uh, game night 2018 congrats got it too bad it wasn't my question though too bad your question wasn't the question you thought you get you asked well, it says date night twenty ten in my You document. already said that it was the you meant game night, so it's too late. I win. You didn't win shit. Movie pop quiz time, I win. What city does breaking bad take place in? Um starts with an A. Hold on. <laughs> I should this. Oh my god, I'm blanking. It's something what is it, New Mexico? You've driven through Albuquerque. It. Yeah. Albuquerque. All right. John Bernthal co-starred with Ewan McGregor in what film? Jon Bernthal and Ewan McGregor? Yes. In a movie? In a movie? In like a real, like a movie movie? They did it in real life. Like they did it? Did it. <laughs> real hard. <laughs> um, hmm. He's not in the island. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bernthal didn't blow up till Wolf. He's not in Star Wars. <laughs> He's Darth Maul, right? <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. Ghost Rider. He's ghost his agent. Ri- oh, Ghost Rider. No, yeah. shit. John Bernthal plays his agent. His agent, remember? They're having sushi, and then he calls them a couple of times. It's Bernthal. Bernthal plays his writing agent. He's the one that gets him the, the ghost writing gig for the ex prime minister. Yeah. yeah. That's an earlier John Bernthal role where I was like, this guy's good. I don't know. I've never seen him. I think that was the first thing I ever saw him or anything. Yeah. Oh, no. First thing was Walking Dead. Never mind. Scratch that. Scratch that. Erase it. All right. Hey, speaking of Scratch that, we got any haters? Any Raider haters? Raider Raiders. Oh, yeah. We got some. What's that? I think I just accidentally quoted the Willy Walker trailer. Scratch that. Erase it. Flip it or something. What's he say? You know what I'm talking about, right? Kind of. Uh, I don't think anybody liked that trailer, honestly. His whimsical voice. Yeah. I don't think anybody liked that trailer. Okay, but I'm it's sure... It's that I didn't like it. i just I'm sure... It just, it a just little, wasn't... A little underwhelmed. Yeah. Alright, MK wrote... And I posted a Darth Maul clip from... Solo. Uh, Star Wars Story. And how he wasn't the villain. And MK wrote... It really is kind of a tie into Clone Wars and Rebels on this one, boys. Unsubscribed! <laughs> Eliza M. Wizard... Anthony gaslighting James about Bottoms being an A24 movie. Unsubscribed. can I say it again. Anthony gaslighting James about Bottoms being an A24 movie. Bottoms? Unsubs- yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> bottoms? You're, no, you're just go. You're, you're you're mumbling through. I couldn't understand what you're saying. Anthony gaslighting James about Bottoms being an A24 movie. Unsubscribe. Thank you. I knew it wasn't A24. It's MGM. I knew it. I saw a tweet about it. It was Letterboxd that made the tweet to go see it, and I thought it was A24. So hey, I'm sorry I gaslit you. It's okay, but I thought I was right. It's not like I knew I was wrong and I was just gaslighting you. But I did gaslight the shit out of you. I made you believe it, just like you gaslit me the week before about that thing I was correct about. Oh yeah, what was it? <laughs> Someone did it in the, in the comments in an episode previously. What was um? Crap, I'll try to think of it. Keep going. Yeah, I just love the evidence here. I'll go. I'll go through the goddamn episodes and find it. I hope you do. I will. I hope- I can't wait to see it. I have access to everything. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's it. We didn't have that many unsubscribes this, this uh, past week. We have a five-star review from Michael Fillinger on Apple Podcasts. Michael! All you need is an email, by the way, to leave a review. Best show. Is this five-star review enough? Thank you, Michael. We appreciate you so much. Appreciate you. Uh, but I think you're right. I think I was just- I think I told you something was- True, that was false. Oh, 100%. You gaslight me pretty often. You gaslight me too. Where's the evidence? (laughs) Prove it. (laughs) Exactly my point. I don't don't have- we don't have any tape of it. There's no video evidence whatsoever. We have tons of video evidence of you gaslighting me. Really? Like what? Like the ones we're talking about. Specifically, like what? Just the one you brought up! Uh Uh-huh. Someone even said you were gaslighting me. One thing. (laughs) The other thing that you admitted you agreed with that you couldn't think of right now. <laughs> Sounds like a Jack Sparrow conversation. episode. this <laughs> because you watched Pirates of the Caribbean last night? It's awesome, man. I'm going to watch the trilogy. It's pretty great. Because um, you got Hulu, and Hulu has the Pirates movies. We did, Di- yeah, Disney, baby. And by the way, I was right with Arby's l- slogan. We have the meats being like similar to Hulu. It's Hulu has the movies boom 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 arby's we have the meats so hulu kind of like took their slogan a little bit and people they're like guys we have movies so their slogan is we have movies <laughs> <laughs> i love how like i love how disney tries to hide that they aren't that hulu's not disney yeah, yeah. And that, that 20th century is not disney but hulu is like 100 disney i gotta say hulu it has not that great of a selection of movies it, i feel like it used to be it better. has like 20 good movies and then it's just like what they have some, like, weird movies as, like, their, their home screen banner movies. Must just be licensing issues because they have 20th Century Studios. I mean, I think that Disney prefers to sell licensing to all their library rather than yeah. putting them on. And Hulu has become, like, a TV destination more than a movie destination. True. Yeah. My streaming recommendation for this episode is going to be a show on Hulu, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's still going. It's still on there. It's still great. Did you hear about Ryan Reynolds? He said he wants to guest star as uh, Mac's boyfriend. Max's boyfriend in the boyfriend. next season. I hope that happens. Oh my God, that, <laughs> that was would so be so amazing! I also had a Hulu recommendation. Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Curse of the Black Pearl. It's fucking awesome. I gave it five stars in Letterboxd. Let's get back into the bear. There's a lot to talk about now. I got some lists I'd like to run through first, and then we can go through some character stuff. Man, I love your list. So IMDb's highest-rated episodes of The Bear include Season 2, Episode 7, Forks, which is the Christmas episode at a 9.7! That's very high. Season 2, Episode 8... I'm sorry. Forks is is not the Christmas episode. When Richie goes to the dining restaurant. Sorry. Season 2, Episode 8, Fishes, is a 9.6. So Forks, 9.7. Fishes is the Christmas episode, 9.6. Season 1, Episode 7, Review... Is a 9.5 this is when sydney's meal that she makes that a short rib, rib actually gets yeah. into an article that looks then, so good with the risotto and that's a big episode because that's when sydney quits and marcus quits and carmy has that's a the huge long take That's yeah yeah carmy has the, a huge freak out it's the whole episode isn't a wonder but it's like after two minutes the winner starts the finale has yeah. a great couple a couple great winners, yeah. long takes and the restaurant opening nights and then season 2 episode 10 the bear the finale is a 9.4 so those are the top four rated episodes of the bear according to imdb i like to talk about the food as well and these are some of the best looking dishes from the show obviously the beef sandwiches look great So of those hot dogs from the beef and then also the t-bone they make oh at my the Bear God, with the sauce and the the bone so- sideways on the dish looks incredible i love the prawns the yeah. prawns look great too The omelets that you brought up earlier that Sydney makes for Natalie, it looks sensational. Yeah, that was viral online. It looks incredible. The spaghetti, there's a couple of sequences of spaghetti getting made. I think the best looking one is probably when Carmen's making spaghetti for Claire at his home. We don't get to see them eat it because they just get to business right away. The (laughs) the cannolis, both the ones in Fish's episode as well as the savory ones that Marcus makes all look delicious. The pistachio cannolis. I love Chef Luca's Minty Snickers bar creation, whatever that gelatin concoction is, looks awesome, as well as just the, the attention to detail and how much work went into it. Tastes like a minty Snickers bar, doesn't it? Didn't it? In it. <laughs> <laughs> the Christmas feast in general, everything looked sensational and delicious. Except the tuna casserole. Yeah. <laughs> I love everyone's reaction to Pete bringing the tuna casserole. Don't fucking let her see it. What's wrong with you? Why are you trying to fuck Why with me? Why are you this doing Pete? this to me? Why are you doing are you this, doing this, this to me? me? <laughs> and then the mango tart that Sydney eats. She eats a ton of food in one of these episodes. In the one two. where she's touring food, it's yeah. it's, a, it's like I, I literally... That episode ended of Sydney trying all the food around the city, and I went to the store and got chocolate gelato because yeah. I had to. That tart looks great. And speaking of, I have a, a section of odd moments, and this includes... There's a few things off four sequences in the show for me. And so season two, Sydney and Carm, they're testing out things in Carm's kitchen. To, they're cooking stuff, sure. and then they're supposed to go out to taste food, right? And then Carmen blows off Sydney to go see Claire. And Sydney basically just spends the whole day going around the city trying food. She eats so at twenty-five food. locations. I will, How yeah. could you possibly eat all that food in one day and not die? So I love I love the montage. It's great, yeah. but it would have been better if it was over a week because not only is it like so much food, but also she's having conversations with people she used to know and work with and like a former boss, and it's like you know how much time that would just- it's like three hours just to do one of them. But she has so much food in yeah. that episode, I'm yeah. just like, how could a human being possibly eat all how this? How is she walking after this? Is she puking after she eats? Cause <laughs> I was- it was like a ten minute montage yeah. that they kept going back to. It was cool. I, I loved food it. But just, when you see that her outfit isn't the same, I'm like, is this really the same night? <laughs> she eats like pastries in the morning, she has that egg sandwich, she has fucking everything, she's yeah. going all over the city Eating a crazy amount of food. And I'm watching And then the like, ice cream sundae. I'm like, how can she possibly be eating all this food? Even <laughs> on Thanksgiving, I don't eat even close to that amount of food. <laughs> Holy shit. I was watching that, like, what is going on right now? Yeah. So that sequence, I liked it, but you're right. It should have taken place over the course of the week. It just made no sense to me with how much she was eating. I agree. I, I think that it was just like, that, it was too much. and But not, not even just the food, but just like, She's con- she's conversing with all these people at these spots. Like she's not having like if realistically she's not having like two minute conversations. She's like having hour long <laughs> conversations with them. Plus travel and stuff. It's impossible to fit just the time in there. It would have been. It's like a forty hour day that yeah she did in three legit. hours yeah and seventeen meals. And I know she probably <laughs> didn't finish every dish because she's just tasting. But still, she eats a lot of food in that episode. A lot Certainly. of food. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> also, I got a Marcus problem with oh, this my show. God. Same. So. Not that I don't. I, I think Marcus is a good ca- good character and I love him baking stuff and everything, but he's got horrible timing. So, these two big moments where Marcus has the worst timing and it seems a little forced for conflict. Yeah. So, Marcus, while Carmen is in the weeds at the beef and has been ma- asking Marcus for cakes all day, and this is the episode where they have their new online ordering system. It's the Wunner. And it's the Wunner. And also, this is the review episode where. They get a ton of attention because of this braised short rib, and it's the new system where you can order online and do takeout at the same time. And they open up shop, but they get like hundreds of orders immediately. Yeah, it, Sydney Sydney show. did something about like an option error where just that it. I think that used to be. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but it prevented any kind of delay. And like if you, if they sold out of an item. It wouldn't say that, yeah. so it just like kept people kept. Ordering. So hundreds and hundreds of tickets yeah. are coming in right when they open up shop, and it's supposed to be a great day. And all morning, Carmen was asking Marcus for cake because he hadn't made the cakes yet. He's just been working on his donuts. I understand it's a restaurant you're trying to experiment, and you got a little passion going on with your donuts. But Marcus didn't make any of the goddamn cakes, and Carmen's in the weeds losing his mind. He's having a freak out because of what's going on in the restaurants. And you know, if they have a bad day, they're going to go out of business, basically. And so while he's freaking out, Marcus comes up to him with the donut, which is like a big... Like a big kid smile, like, hey, man, I figured out the donut recipe. is like, where the fuck are you? Where are the cakes? Why are you doing this to me? Why, why are you doing this to wh- me? Why are you doing this to me? Where are the cakes? Why are you fucking with me? Why aren't you making the cakes, Marcus? I, I also agree. That was a really great episode, but that moment took me out of it, because Carmy was having a fucking psychotic meltdown screaming like a maniac and then marcus just walks up to him like hey man i finally figured out the sauce it's just like what can you read He's the been room asking bro. Him for cakes all morning yeah read the room bro i get it three times he asked him for cakes and then marcus quits and then sydney quits that that shift but i and also but marcus he takes all of his donuts and throws them onto like the table in the front of house in the dining room and i was like for me i was like He's acting like a baby, like it's a crazy situation. You're upset that he's mad at you because you didn't do your job. Yeah. Marcus, I thought it was like yeah. you should be making cakes, man. Make What's the go- cakes. What's <laughs> going on? He asked you three times to make cakes. Yeah. You have the biggest day of the beef's history right now. He's not making cakes. So I, that, I also agree. That took me out of that. Episode. I was like, what is Marcus doing here? Yeah. In another another Marcus moment. That's horrible timing. So the day the bear opens, which is... I couldn't remember, is this the finale or the one the before? Pen the penultimate. The penultimate, so the, the second-to-last episode. They're about to open their shift, and they're just prepping for that day. It's the, the biggest oh, I'm day... Oh, sorry, this is the final. Okay, yeah, biggest final. day of their lives. You know, Sydney and Carmen, this is their restaurant. They're finally going to open. Ten months of hard work has gone into this restaurant. Everything has to go perfect. They're prepping, they're trying to stay focused, trying to get everything done. And the shift's starting. And they're getting in the weeds. And Sydney's running Expo. She's calling out the dishes and planning everything. And there's a lot of tickets coming in. And it's getting busy. It's the first night they have to work out the kinks, basically. And so she needs help at Expo with the tickets. So Carmen asks Marcus to help Sydney with the tickets, help her organize everything. He's like, yes, chef, no problem. So he goes over while Sydney is so stressed. And, oh, you know, this is before they open. This okay, is when they're prep. He never mind. Her. So yeah. before they're prep. Yeah. So when not, when they're prepping for the for the night before okay. the restaurant opens, it sorry, happens. sorry. So so for okay, she's, she's checking his station. So yeah. so he asks her out before the shift starts, and I'm thinking, when sh- could she possibly a- go out with you? He asked, we could either go before or later tonight. You're gonna go out to eat before the opening night of your restaurant, the Bear, that you've all been working ten months on. You're gonna go out. You're gonna ask her out now. To go out to eat before the shift. She has put her entire life into this restaurant. And she's the coach. And they're the working. Caller, <laughs> and they're working. They're trying to prep. And what? Afterwards when she's going to be a midnight? mess? At midnight? <laughs> where are you going to go to eat at so midnight? So I'm like, what is he asking her elf for? Because obviously he creates this weird dynamic now. Horrible timing. And then, obviously, then the expo situation where she, he goes to help her. And they kind of get into a bickering argument. And then he thinks she's ignoring him. And he, he freaks out on Sydney saying, are you ignoring me because you're mad at me? And then she's like, I can't deal with this right now. I completely agree. That was another moment where Marcus was being a baby, being way too sensitive, but also the motivation. I understand that they're trying to get some conflict with the interpersonal relationships, but for me, those two instances with Marcus kind of took me out completely out of the situation. When they should have- when their, their intention was to make good conflict, I was like, come on, bro, you're acting like a bitch! Come on! <laughs> Yeah, he, is, he like, was. To ask He's her- like, you're going to scream at your boss on the line that she's mad at you for- and ignoring you because you asked her out for some reason? On the most did- important day of her life. Yeah, I-, I thought it was just, like, really selfish. And so I think they are kind of forcing it a little bit with Marcus when they don't have to force things. Like, I think eventually where this is hinting that he and Cindy are going to start a thing. I'm not sure that it's being shown like it's being hinted properly. Yeah, cuz they he went over her house after they both quit the beef in yeah. season 1. He's over her house and she, she cooks him dinner. It's a sweet scene, it's nice. It seems like Sydney just wants to be friends, but it seems like yeah. Marcus wants more. And obviously there's a little tension he there. He is a little flirty with her too yeah. in the in the kitchen. But she doesn't seem to be interacting with that kind of intention, which that's that's what, how I interpret it. She doesn't want to, to be romantically involved with, I think, anyone at the restaurant. And I wouldn't Agreed. either. Like, yeah. you don't want that in your life. <laughs> but the timing with Marcus for the, for the story, for the character, it just a lot of it doesn't make sense. And it's, I think it's just a quick forced conflict to like, what can we do to spice things up with the scene? Yeah, and it just doesn't make sense. Like, why would you ask your boss out? This to go out to dinner when you're supposed before to be... you're supposed to open your restaurant that you invested eight hundred thousand dollars on in, in in every day of your life for a year basically yeah and Sydney it's had odd. and in Sydney's reaction like she walks away she's like fuck 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 she's like this guy really just asked me out that's yeah. how I look at it yeah it was pretty weird I don't like those two moments of just horrible timing on Marcus's parts so. yeah I agree but the donuts look great <laughs> the donuts look really good I would have I would have liked it better if maybe he already had the had been trying. To want to be a baker, but he, I think it was pastry chef, pastry chef, but he was stuck baking bread at this restaurant. Yeah, you know I mean, I that, think that would have worked. I think that he became too good too fast in a way just from reading books. And he, he spends a week in Copenhagen, but I think it would have, it, it could have worked a little bit better if he had always had the intention of being a pastry chef, but he couldn't quite make it. And then how he stuck making bread rolls for this sub shop. I think that would have been, a, and then, it would make it a little bit more believable for him to make such incredible dishes that these two highly trained chefs who know everything there is about food to love his meals immediately. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I agree with that a little bit. It's just a, it's a meteoric rise. Yeah. It's too meteoric. Too meteoric. (laughs) (laughs) I think there are so many great stressful moments of the show too. Some of my favorites include... Obviously the beef in the weeds with their new online takeout system after Sydney's dish makes it in that article it Leads to Carmen's biggest freakout and Sydney and Marcus quitting Carmen getting locked in the walk-in fridge opening night and accidentally confessing to Claire that he doesn't want to be with her when he thinks He's talking to Tina. Very stressful Because uh, I was like, what are they gonna do to Carm? How's he gonna fuck shit up? C- season two, it can't go smoothly. The finale cannot go smoothly for Carmen. It can go smoothly for the restaurant, which it seems to do, but with him and Carmen, I mean him and Claire, it's fucked. And him and Richie seems fucked now too because they have that that crazy argument. It might be the biggest fight they've had. It looks like in big their lives. blowout. Um, but I love that shot too of the the side shot of either on each other, either side it's of like the, the walking. It's yeah. really great. Michael and Lee at Christmas at the dinner before Donna comes in when they're all waiting and the forks and throwing the forks at Lee. That is so tense and excellent. And I was just like, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? And every scene with Donna basically is stressful. <laughs> yep. She's very stressful to talk to and be with. And then Richie's freakouts, especially the freakout on Sydney, is very stressful. Yeah, Richie, he's, it's very similar. He and Carmi both have extremely bad tempers, absolutely no control of their emotions. And Sydney is often put in these situations of, you know, what should be just like, a discussion turns into a fucking psychotic blowout that she's often, like, the the victim of. And I think that's one of the most stressful parts for her of working there is dealing with Richie and dealing with Carmi, where it's either one of them is just going to fucking scream in her face. And it gets to the point, that's one of the reasons why she quit. It wasn't just for that one moment, but, like, just, it was all building up to her quitting that day. And that's why when Richie transforms and then he's, the, rest, the opening of the bear is going badly, everything's chaotic. The expo is weeded and overwhelmed, but Richie's like, Cool, I got it. He's got a completely new temperament, which you get. they highlighted really well by showing stressful situation, he used to freak out, or he used to cause the stressful situation, but now he's handling it. Now he's a fixer in a way, and he has, for the time being, I'm sure it won't last, but he seems to have a lot of control over his emotions, which is something Carmi still doesn't have. They're wor- Carmi's working on it, but Carmi, I'm not sure he'll ever be able to completely master himself, but it looks like Richie, at the moment, has mastered his emotions. It seems like by the end of Season 2, he kind of has the upper hand on Carmi, where Carmi looks like he needs Richie more than Richie needs Carmi, because now Richie has purpose in life, and. He's got experience, and he has found confidence he's never had before in things that he's good at, which is, you know, being a people person, seeing patterns, and being a great hostess and, and hospitality manager. I mean, he's he kills it. He does He does a great job in the last two episodes, Richie the character. He's just one of the most essential components of the bear working in the finale. Yeah, and I really like Sydney. I believe that she's she can definitely be looked at as partly inspired by the creator because he said he used to frequent this beef shop that he used for inspiration to make the show, and Sydney reveals that the beef was her dad's favorite place. And she used to come go there a lot when she was a kid, and that's why she wants to work there, because Carmi sees her resume. She's overqualified, like, why do you want to be here? And she's like, it's it has a connection to my my childhood. But that's not why she works there. She works of Carmi, yeah. yeah because she, the best meal she had yeah, was yeah. at Carmi's restaurant. So, yeah. that's, so she's working where Carmi is. And I love... How, even though, when we learn about Will Poulter's character in Honeydew, in in Copenhagen, and he tells a story about, like, when he he thought he was the best chef, and every kitchen he worked in, he was number one, but then he saw the real number one, and there's this guy who was so good and so committed that Will Poulter's character would never, he realized he would never be number one. He would never be the best cook, best chef, because this guy exists. But... That guy took him under his wing and made him better at everything. It made him better than ever he ever thought he could be. And I think we all knew he was talking about Carmi, but he never named him. And then in, in the Forks episode, when Richie's walking through the hallway of the the fancy restaurant, and there are photos, framed photos of all the, the head chefs that have worked there in the past since it's opening, one of the photos is of Carmi and Will Poulter. And you're like, yep, that's who he was talking about. Luca, Luca thank you. Yeah, I really like that Copenhagen sequence of, of- I think, obviously, Will Poulter is such a talented actor. I mean, getting guest cameos and stars is- It was cool to see his real accent. Yeah, I think he- I think, he, based on interviews I've seen with him, I feel like he put a lot of- himself, Like, that was very, um, true to him as a person. Yeah, he's such a personable actor and energetic, and he-, he you know, the- Can't help but take your eyes off him. He's he just- he's great on camera. And- he brings so much to that short role. you know, he's on camera for like eight minutes total, not even probably and, and what I really like about this show is, you know, sometimes it's just two chefs cooking something or preparing something, something tedious, peeling mushrooms, chopping portions of, of of flour, and they're just talking about life and they always talk about each other. They always ask each other questions like, what was your life like? What was it like growing up? What uh, were what your parents like? Your siblings? And you really connect with people. And I think that's great because people get away from technology and it's just two people talking and just focus on something and you're kind of getting through it together. And it's, yeah. it shows the, the camaraderie that working in a space like a restaurant can really build, but also the the pain and and hatred that can also be created at the same time. Yeah, I love the the scene with Olivia Coleman. It was a great little scene. And the show, show sh- translates that. It's perspective of fine dining in the first season is negative. It's only the negatives. Because, you know, that's what Carmi takes away from it. The stress. The the extreme formality of it. The lack of, in a sense, humanity in the fine dining world. But, the second season, with Richie's episode, and with um, Copenhagen, you see you know, the people that work in these restaurants, they do it because they love it. And there is a lot of love and care that goes into that world, into the extremely high society, the extremely high fine dining world. And that's something that I think the second season showcased really well of like seeing like, you know what, it's a crazy environment. And it's like, yeah, $400 for a meal. The dishes can be ridiculous. But... They're not just done just to be fancy. They're done out of the utmost care and kind of like obsession of the cooks wanting to create as special of an experience as possible and how much the love they put into it. And something the show does really well is building tension to a level where it's about to hit a boiling point, but then bringing it down. It's about to hit a boiling point, bringing it down. A lot of that happens with... Carmen and Sydney, and they kind of create that dynamic where, you know, one of them is freaking out on the other one. Then they do the sorry and sign. They do the sorry that Carmi teaches her that he learned in restaurants that, like, lets you know, like, all right, I'm sorry, I'm fucking up. Even though we're screaming at each other, look at my hand, I'm apologizing. Let's try to get through this. We're a team. And they have like eight moments where they're about to blow out on each other, and then they, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. So I, I think they do a great job of that tension that's rising and, Something bad's gonna happen, then... Oh, all right, a little ease, and it's a lot easier. And also, Carmi... I think that he abandons the restaurant when he starts hanging out with Claire, because it's it's hinted in the uh, Fishes episode like he, he's ne- he never decompresses. When his cousin is like, come on, live with me in New York for a little bit. You need to get away. You need to relax. You need to decompress. He's never taken a break in so many years, and so for him Claire seems to be like oh I can finally loosen up I can finally you know take some time off I can finally decompress and so I think that's why he jumps at the opportunity of spending time with Claire as opposed to spending time with Sydney in the restaurant but in a way you know when he when he's in that locked in locked in the walk-in you know for the he was the cause of the lock breaking he never called the fridge guy to get it fixed even though he said he would he also feels like he he says he failed them to tina because you know all the tape is torn off in a messy way as opposed to being cleanly cut with scissors which it's it's like the fine details weren't done for the restaurant so it was in in his eyes the restaurant is a failure because it's not perfect and he he realizes it's not perfect because i was committing too much time to claire and not enough time to the restaurant not enough time to sydney who i kind of left um hanging so many times and so that conversation of Sydney and Carmi under the table when they're both making adjustments to that hook on either side of the table and he says, you know, I have I haven't I haven't given you 100% of my time and my commitment and I should have and it's not going to happen again and he's made a decision to forgo any kind of social life and forego human connection and the possibility of love and he's going to commit himself completely to the restaurant. Yeah, and that's basically what Uh, Jimmy says to him right before opening when he sits him down and gives him the business certificate And he tells him that story about the Cubs the Chicago Cubs blowing it in the playoffs and everyone blames No one blames Alex Gonzalez who had that really bad error in the field everyone just goes back to the guy in the stands who obviously bumped into Moises Alou trying to catch that foul ball one of the most iconic moments in Cubs history and and People would say it's a curse, but they didn't... Everyone just blames him versus the several errors that were committed by the team after the foul ball mishap. And so he's telling him, like, you don't want to be the Alex Gonzalez and keep making mistake after mistake after mistake. Don't be him, not the other guy in the stands. Like, that's who you shouldn't be. So basically... The real fault. You have yeah. to focus. You have to... This is have to, has to be your life. And that's why when... Bear, I mean, when uh, Carmi tells him, I've been seeing someone, Jimmy's like, oh man, I mean, Uh otherwise I would have. He goes, that would have been the best news I've ever heard, but uh oh, or oopsies, you're fucked. (laughs) Can't date her. (laughs) Yeah, so it is tragic and it's kind of reminiscent of a movie of movies like Whiplash and La La Land of committing yourself to your craft and uh, abandoning trying to be in a relationship to give yourself wholeheartedly 100% because. Sydney's ready for that. Sydney wants the star and Carmi says if you want that you have to care about everything and you have to, you know, immerse yourself into perfection. And so she's on board for that. And I think Carmi, he feels like I owe it to her to get on board with it too. Yeah, and overall, I really enjoyed bidging the f- the hell out of the show. It was excellent. And I can't wait to see what they do with season three with the the main conflicts. I wonder if the debts are gonna become a problem probably with Jimmy because they have 18 months to make that loan back and they have basically six months to, less than six months to become profitable, which is fast for a restaurant, especially a new one, especially one that has such high cost in terms of the ingredients that they're spending and how much they put into it. So I would say the star might be the main goal. In, yeah, getting in the, the star. Getting the star. Yeah, because their profit margin's terrible. So they need to get a star quickly to get attention there. And I, I think that'll probably be the main conflict, yeah, of season three, probably getting that star. Trying to make perfection happen. And then maybe Claire comes back into Carmi's life, which I, I hope because I really like Claire as She's a character. She's great, yeah. She's very sweet and wholesome, and I think it's something that Carmi needs in his life. I think Carmi needs something good. But Carmi can never, He'll, they won't get the star if he doesn't abandon her, so. Maybe they can make it work. It's because you know i feel bad for richie because he says like can't you just accept one good thing happening in your life yeah. and like i like he and carmy was so upset with him and mikey when they put in the good word for him when they ran into claire he's been in love with her since his since he was a kid so it's sad that he won't accept that even though it's there it's for him he, he, she's waiting for him basically but not anymore yeah and listening to that voicemail is so sad yeah it was a tragic voicemail man you a lot and he's just like fuck. <laughs> Man, I love the show. I can't wait for season three. They, did a, they did a great job with the second season. It was an excellent, excellent second season. All right. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to our episode of The Bear. Be sure to share this episode with anyone you know who loves The Bear because we had a great time watching the show, and I'm sure they'll love listening to this episode or watching on Spotify or YouTube. Thank you so much for being a patron of the show. You can sign up at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast and leave those five-star reviews on Spotify and Apple. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks, Chef. Let let it rip, dude. (laughs) This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons. Cody Mowen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keene, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian Singleton, Tyler McFly, Andrew Hagen. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.